Hello and welcome to Talking Shop. I'm Alex Goy, journalist, Morgan owner and your host, here to take you through some of Morgan's key moments, key people and biggest fans to help get you under the skin of one of the world's most unique car manufacturers. Today's guest is Steve Morris, the chairman and CEO of the Morgan Motor Company, a man who joined the firm 37 years ago as an apprentice. He's going to tell us all about that. And then he's worked at every single level within the company since then. Of course, ending up as chairman and CEO. He's launched so many cars from the Aero 8 all the way to the most recent Plus 4. All in all, it's going to be a fascinating podcast if you want to know more about the man behind the big desk at Pickersley Road. Here we go. Hello, Steve Morris, and welcome. How are you on this fine day? Good afternoon, Alex. Fine, thank you very much. Although the world's a little upside down, it feels somewhat surreal for us all, I guess. But um, all the personnel at factory uh, seem to be uh, in good fettle. Um, we're staying in touch. So yeah, as good as we as good as can be expected for all of us, I guess. So I'm talking to you from inside your office at the factory. What's it like there at the moment with the, with all the situation going? It must be super quiet. Yeah, very much so. I think we so we closed the factory down at the close of play on Tuesday, the twenty fifth of March, um, following the government announcement on the Monday evening. Maintain the safety, health, and welfare of all of our employees. And um, sat in my office today. Very strange. Yeah, very quiet. Feels very strange not to have the factory open for the first time in seventy or so years. Seventy years. Yeah, the, obviously during the World War was the last time the factory closed to vehicle production. So, um, yeah, very strange, surreal times. And I think um, we, we all keep talking about it, don't we? We all keep saying it's surreal, it's unprecedented. But I think for me, it, it, a word I keep using is that there's, there is zero reference point to this. For, any, for anybody alive, there's zero reference point to, to, to look at this current situation. So um, it's just, it is surreal. It, it, it is true, truly bizarre. I like the fact that in order to stop Morgan from producing cars, there even needs to be a global conflict or a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose it's, um, it's yeah, and in, in looking, looking at it in that aspect, you've, uh, you'd hope that we don't stop making cars for the next 100 years or plus then or whatever the number should be. But um, if they're the reasons we stop making cars, then um, let's all hope that it's a long time before we stop again. Yeah, well... Hopefully so. Um, so while, while you're here, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get a bit of a handle on uh, you and your history with Morgan. So you've been with the company for 37 years. Yes, yeah, yeah, 37 years now. Which is a, a, a good chunk of the, the company's 111 years of being in existence. Um, how did you get your start there? It's, when I look back, it's really interesting. At the time, um, slightly more daunting and challenging for me. So, um, my my father, um, my father basically uh, one day said to me, "Jump in the car. I've got you an interview." Um, so I said, "Oh, where, where?" He said, "Oh, just jump in the car." So he, he literally pulled up and literally just behind my back, where I'm sat in my office, just uh, ten yards along the front of the main road. Here is the what used to be the the main entrance into the factory for any visitor. And uh, he said, "Go in there, son, and ask for a job." So I said, "Well, I thought you got me an interview." He said, "No, just go in and ask for a job." So I walked through the door and I put my suit on and I was. Um, 
I'm not very tall now, am I? Let's be fair. But I put my suit on and um, a little short 16-year-old lad and walked through the door and I said, oh, excuse me, uh, are there any jobs going? And uh, a chap came out and said to me, sorry, son, not at this time, no jobs going. Oh, okay, thank you very much. And off I walked. I got back in my dad's car and said, oh, there's no jobs. And a week, I think it was, yeah, it was a week later, he said to me, jump in the car. Um, we're going for an interview. I said, oh, where are we going? He said, oh, don't you said, jump in. Come on, surprise. And he pulled up outside the main gate again. And I said, no. Uh, outside the front door here again at Morgan. I said, no. And and for, for anybody that knew my father, he, he was a, a big, strong guy. And um, if he said, you know, he, he said, go in there and do something. So I, I basically walked through the door and... Um, Walked in, same thing again. I put my suit on and uh, walked through the door and asked for a job. And they said, no, there's no jobs. And um, believe it or not, he did it a third time. But this time I twigged what he was doing. I said, no. And he said, just get in the car. You're going to get a job. Um, and I walked in the third time. And um, lo and behold, I got a letter from Mark Aston um, saying there was a vacancy in the sheet metal department. Um, so I come for the interview and it happened to be Jeff Brewer, who was the foreman, whose uh, son still works here today, Russell. Anyway, they wrote to me and offered me the job. So uh, despite the fact that, uh, you know, I, I was desperately, desperately didn't want to get out of the car on the third time to walk through the door for an interview because um, I felt somewhat embarrassed. But um, here I am 37 years later. So you, so uh, how, what, what, what was your first job? How, how did you get your foot in the door other than turning up three times and going, please, sir, can I have a job? <laughs> yeah, so I, I basically, I, I, they wrote to me and offered me a job as an apprentice in the sheet metal department. So I, I joined as an apprentice in the sheet metal department and uh, did a, a four-year apprentice, well, what ended up being a five-year apprenticeship in, in there. So, um, I mean, yeah, you walked through the door and times were very different then um, from a point of view of what an apprentice meant. Basically, back 37 years ago as an apprentice, you did everything that none of the time served uh, time served employees would do. So you you made the tea, you swept for you did everything, everything like that. You cleaned up, you run around, you you were everybody's beck and call for those things. And and quite interestingly, I think back to those days, and and one of the most daunting things for me being an apprentice for Morgan was every Christmas you had to stand up on the benches and you had to sing a carol to the to the shop and and it was a, it was a bit of a tradition and it was it was probably the most frightening thing that you ever had to do at Morgan and um yeah so I, I think back fond memories and um I think back to all the guys and I, I often walk through the factory and look at the look at the um some of the pictures that are around the factory of the workforce and and look back at all the, uh, the characters and yeah so that that was 37 years ago and Jeff Jeff Brewer was my foreman um and yeah uh, um yeah Jeff's passed passed on now but um yeah good day so that was that was 37 years ago do you do you still make the apprentices stand on benches and sing carols to the rest of the workforce because if you don't why not <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd love to say we do, but unfortunately, with um, with employment law and and everything that you that you work with today, it's very different. And um, you can't, you I, mean I you can't ritualistically humiliate your apprentices anymore? <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I haven't actually looked at the the data on whether you can make them sing a Christmas carol, but um, I'm sure it would contravene a number of rules. So, and I think back, I think back as well, and some of the things um, 
some of the things we used to do when I think we had a big um, a big tank at the back, a big water tank, and it was a ritual. If you were, if it was your birthday, you would get in married, or you would, or pretty much if if the day ended in a why, and there was a reason to, um, they used to throw you as an apprentice or throw you in the, in the water tank. And I just think today you just not in a million years. But um, I mean, HR might yeah, have something to say about that, mate. They they certainly would. They certainly would. But it was um, it was all done in great spirit and. Um, you know, and, and well, as you can see today, um, a lot of family members and friends, and that still work at the factory. So yeah, it's. Um, but no, we don't. We don't see the cow. But I, I do think back to those days, and and I think back um, when an apprentice used to bring in. Um, I remember my mother making sausage rolls and cakes at Christmas to bring in, and um, just before, as you broke up for Christmas, we'd do all that and. And it, it was it was great. You'd bring in food for everybody and then they'd humiliate you by singing a carol. And I'm honestly not the best singer. In fact, I'm the worst singer. So, Well, still, you did it. You got through um, and you, you lasted, you know, 37 years. So how's, how's, how's the factory, how's the company changed over that time? Oh, it's, yeah, I think it's changed considerably. I think um, when, I, when I think back, uh, obviously very different... Um, it, it was very different culturally. I think employment law, detail, um, you, you know, about the way you run the business. It's all very, very different. And and I think the the business requirements today, you wouldn't, you, you there isn't the the slack in the system that would allow you to operate the way you did then today with the competition with the. The wage structure, the the health and safety requirements, um, the vehicles, the technology, uh, you know everything around it. It's very different today, um, and I think you, you know you, you've, we've seen some huge changes in the whole business arena, haven't we? Over over the last, um, you know, it changes year on year. But I think if I look back to those days and think of, um, you know, we used to have a timekeeper that'd stand and watch people clock in. I mean, technology now gets past a lot of those things, but very, very different, very, very different scenario, very, very different company today. You talk about employment law and the culture. You're no longer dunking people for fun or forcing them to stand up and sing. But um, what about the, the technological change within the factory? Yeah, I, I, again, I mean, if if you look, I mean, I quite often say if I if I happen to be doing a talk to whether it's business or, or, or individuals, it could be a school, it could be a business forum or whatever. But I, and and we hear it in in this industry, and I'm sure you've heard it hundreds, if not thousands, of times. That you know, I think we'll see more change in the next five to ten years than we've seen in the last you know sort of seventy years. But I think actually we're probably we've probably moved on that four or five years. And I think if I, if I look back five years ago and think of, um, just think of the vehicles and what we have to do as a company to supply a vehicle to a global marketplace. Um, and what, what's required in that vehicle is just hugely different. So I think the tech in the vehicles is changing, the legislative requirements to wrap around the vehicle whether that be safety whether it be tech whether it be feature benefit customer uh, customer level led uh, feature benefit very 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 different today um and i think if i think back four or five years ago or probably a little more than that probably seven or eight years ago 
it was probably 80 to 90% mechanical engineering uh, with with 10 to 15% or thereabouts of electrical interface and engineering. Today, that is complete role reversal. Nothing, nothing but nothing on the vehicle um, works, functions, moves. The vehicle can't even move without that. Everything's got this electronic stroke um, tech interface now. So there's been a, a, a real um, sea change and a real shift in the electronic element and um, the, that, that side of the vehicle. So very different, I think, about the way we make a car today. It's the, the one thing I'm always proud of is the fact that we how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. Um, so the way we, the way in which we make a car, but actually we one of the terms I quite like using in, in for Morgan is the marriage of craft and technology, because I think you can go the world over and find, you know, hundred percent tech. Um, and I and I admire both sides of the fence, by the way. But I think you can see a hundred percent tech, or you can go to the museum and you can see a hundred percent craft stroke history. Whereas I think what we blend at Morgan is very much that, you know, we're using cutting cutting edge uh, powertrain um, from from BMW. We're using cutting edge technology from Superform Aluminium in in the way we produce some of the wings and some of the panels. Uh, we've got, you know, very latest chassis technology uh, and underpinning of the vehicle. But actually, when you walk around this factory and you see the craftsmen and women uh, making the vehicle, so using the still, still forming panels by hand, still louvering bonnets, still um, making an ash wood frame, still trimming the car, The you know, the way we some of the engineering um the way we do it is is fascinating that craft and technology is incredibly important for us uh so i think you know so although the although the factories changed the vehicles have changed the 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 marketplace has changed what we need to do to be able to make that vehicle has changed considerably we've still maintained what differentiates us in that marketplace and that's that's hugely important um, because it means you know you can have you know a, a Morgan remains a Morgan no matter the technological era or restraints constraints or uh, or challenges uh, put to it. Um, one thing that that always stands out whenever anyone goes there, and you talked about this a little earlier, is the family aspect uh, of 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 Morgan because you know there there are families that have worked there forever of course there is the Morgan family is still still a part of it can you can you talk us through how how that all how that all works yeah i think uh, so at, at morgan for 111 years um and when i think that the the word family is used almost every other sentence that we talk about morgan it's family and i think a considerable number of years ago, we really stretched that out to 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 try and change the whole thing from Morgan being a family business. Yes, it was a family business um, for uh, for for a hundred and nine years. Um, it was a family business, but I think what we really what we really talk about at Morgan when we talk about families, we talk about the extended family, so the stakeholder family, so the Morgan family, the uh, employees, our dealer and distribution network globally, our customers, 
the fans of Morgan. So we very much use that. And then if you, if, to, to take that into a more granular detail, if you look as um, the third generation, the, the second and third generations of employees as well, uh, and I think to dealers, that goes that runs through to dealers very much in a dealer network. So very important part of very important part of the story, very important part of what we do. And and I think today I, I read an article recently that said oh the investors aren't keen on um you know family members working in the business. And it, it's absolutely not the case. It's totally, totally, totally opposite. Um in, if you work for Morgan um, and you're a family member, great. It just extends that. I mean, I've I've got family working in the business. I've got, you know, there are a lot of people with family members in the business. And um, at the end of the day, it's it's about maintaining that uh, that line through the business, and we see that extending right the way through. So I think it, it is an important part of what we do. And I I think the the main thing break break time for you there, Steve. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's just, yeah, I can have a break now. <laughs> the bow's just gone. Now, and I, th- I think the main thing to, um, to, to the, it's, it's an important part of what we do, it's, uh, or what we stand for. It's been part of this business from day one. It remains to be a strong part of our business. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I can't impress enough. It's, it's not just within the business. I look outside the business at dealers and distribution where they've got um, family members or their second and third generation of their business and then Morgan dealers through. So very important part of what we do. Uh, and I think it's it's the glue that it's part of the glue that holds us together. It's part of, you know, it maintains that line in history. Um, and I think it's, you know, all we've, you know, all I ever talk to the factory about is, yes, that's part of the glue that holds us together, but we must never be complacent and we must always, you know, um, strive to strive to do the right thing and, you know, give give make a car that delights the customers. Well, speaking of, speaking of cars, making cars that delight the customers, in order, you, you know, you've, you need to be a car guy if you're, if you're going to work at Morgan, right? Like you've, you have a small collection of Morgans yourself and also some other things. Can you talk us through your car history a little bit? Yeah, I think I, I think it's, it, um, when I think back, it's pretty much, you know, any, um, any, but I was going to say boy's dream, but any boy girl's dream, if you, if you, if you prepare yourself to go and work in a car factory, I think there is a part of you that says you're a car person, whether you own them or whether you just, or whether you just get excited by, um automotive and automotive history it's yeah it's part of what we do um i mean personally for myself um yeah uh, i mean I, I love my morgans um the you know over the years i've had a, a collection of different morgans and um i, I don't uh, people quite often say to me what's your favorite morgan i think it it's without sounding cheesy, but they've all got their own. They've all got their own place. Um, whether you whether it's a little four four or uh, right the way through to the latest plus six aero eight, you know um, new plus four three wheeler. I mean, fantastic, and they all delight people. But I think for me personally, at the moment, um, I try and use my aero GT as much as I can. Um, car collection wise, I think we quite often talk about poster poster cars don't we when what what inf- what what influences us when we grow up what's um what sort of sets the scene for us uh and i 
I think back um, to me. I mean, I, I admire I admire Porsche and what they st- and their engineering. Um, I pretty much love love every. You know, I, I just like any car um, in its own right. Some you want to own, some you don't want to own, but you still like them. I think quite interestingly for me, um, I look back now on some of the cars I've had and might not be necessarily supercar territory, but I just look back to Mark One. RS two thousands, Mex Ford Mexicos, and things like that, and they they still, uh, interesting enough, they still excite me in their own right because I think they're, I think it's just a, um, a fantastic piece of history, and and when I think back when I was seventeen and eighteen, I had a beautiful, uh, broadstripe Mark One RS two thousand with a bullet box in, and I think you know where, where when you let that car go, they were on every street corner at the time today. They're fetching significant amounts of money. Um, uh, as I say, I I didn't sell my, believe it or not, I never sold my RS. I swapped it for a Morris Ital, and what made it even worse was it was an estate. Um, and before before you tell me off or anybody <laughs> tells me off, it was um, back in about 1985, I guess. They were on every street corner, Um but I can't tell you how many times I've kicked myself since then because I just, as I say, not a supercar, but a nice icon and a nice little bit of history. Um, and I had a nice um, Mark II Lotus Escort, um, number of minis back in the day. Um, so, yeah, some 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 nice cars. Growing up, growing up, obviously, you know, working at Morgan on the shop floor, um, uh, you know, I wasn't um, I wasn't in the position to be, into anything too exotic um, back in the day um, but some nice cars some nice sporty cars and then winding forward um, probably my favorite modern car um, or, or tin top modern car was be my c63 um, which that's, I that's proper that yeah absolutely loved it and again running an aero um, and then having a C sixty three, I thought it was a little bit extravagant having two two naturally aspirate naturally aspirated V eights. Um, and again, I that's, that's not extravagant, Steve. That's what a lot of people would call the dream. Yeah, yeah. And I just and and to be honest with you, I, I ended up I sold my C sixty three. And again, another moment in history where I sort of kick myself because I spend um, I spend. Uh, enough time trawling on the internet looking through and thinking I really need to own a C63 again I must say if I did I'd go back to a, a 2014 2015 backwards uh, backwards to to keep the naturally aspirated because I've I've tried the new by turbo one a great car and and probably a tad quicker but for me hasn't got the drama of the um, naturally aspirated one and then I guess my my other car side of things were um, I I really should have when I had my C sixty three the one thing I was really going to do was um, get an SLS. Uh, oh yes, that's 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 a good choice. Well, it, and to be honest with you, what was really frustrating with that was at the time I was really looking, um, and one of our designers' um, fathers, uh, Harvey's father, has one, and. Um, I looked at it, and at the time, it was a sort of uh, an 80, 80, 85K car for a really good one, 
very, very low mileage. And I missed the boat um, and almost watched them going up 10 grand chunks at a time, £10,000 a month at a time to to where they are now. So missed the boat on that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a pretty much potted history of my car my car sort of life um i also very much like motorcycles um so uh love love my love motorbikes don't don't actually have a road license for a motorbike um a simple simple reason for that if i'm honest um having having four children and um at the time thought it was probably not the right thing to do um at the time because you as with all these things you just jump on one and then you go bigger and bigger and more and more so um did a lot of motocross back in the day as well so um enjoyed my motocross so yeah ni- nice sort of car bike um car bike history i mean that's 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 not that's pretty impressive to be honest as as, as a car bike history goes i think you've covered most bases now you've got uh, an aero gt um you've actually overseen a lot of some a lot of important cars uh in morgan's recent history so um uh, what have I got my list in front of me? Aero 8, uh, all the way through to three-wheeler, uh, plus six, plus four. Now, I hear on the grapevine there's an interesting story about the resurrection of three-wheeler. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, the, Alex, the, the, the three-wheeler is a really interesting story. So 2009, um, I was pointed by uh, a mutual business colleague to 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 something he'd seen on the internet with uh, a chap in America making uh, a product called the Liberty Ace. And it was a chap called Pete Larson. And for a, for, for, from 20 yards, if you took a glance at the Liberty Ace, people would immediately say, there's a Morgan three-wheeler. And I sort of got intrigued by it. And at, at the time, our fin- we had a finance director at the time called Tim Whitworth, um, so Tim and I looked at this, put a proposition to the board. Um, my rationale at the time was the same as it is today. It hasn't changed. If there was one company in the world that sh- that, that had the authenticity and the the right to to, to resurrect a three wheeler, it was Morgan. It was the beginnings. It was the whole. It was the whole lifeblood, the founding, the the, the base of the company. So to start with, I looked at it and thought this is really worth some investigation. So I jumped on a plane, um, Tim and I jumped on a plane and we went off to Seattle uh, to to meet Pete Larson, to look at his business. And it was very much a Remington moment. We we liked it so much, we bought the company. Um, so for, for those for those of us that can remember Remington, I'm sure there'll, there'll be quite a few people that can't. But, um, so, <clears throat> Channel 4, middle of the day, the man with the razor. I liked it so much, I bought the company. That's it, that's the one. Um, so we, we flew across to Seattle and, and, um, I, and I, I'll never forget the trip for a number of reasons, um, some good, some bad. Uh, the, the good part of... Um, of was driving a three-wheeler a liberty ace around mercer island above seattle which is the most one of the most beautiful places i've driven around it was it was just stunning um and we it was it was an interesting trip actually and and now i look back with fondness and and you could see a few things that didn't quite go right so we were driving a three-wheeler liberty ace around mercer island beautiful um got a puncher a rear wheel puncher um which wasn't the best start. 
But the night we flew, the day we flew into Seattle, it was quite interesting. So uh, we got off the plane in Seattle, we hired a, a car, we drove to the hotel, um, and we didn't go, We you try and stay awake to, to get past any time difference. And I'll never forget as long as I live. Um, I'm stood in a bar just on a main street, um, literally 10, five yards inside the bar, lent, just lent on a table, Tim and I minding our own business, having a beer. And all of a sudden there was what I thought were firecrackers going off. And within a matter of seconds, it went from that to screaming, shouting, mayhem, get on the floor, get on the floor, don't move, don't move. And and it turns out there's gunshots. And oh. I, I was, honest to God, it, it was um, another, uh, we live in a surreal moment at the moment, aren't we, with COVID-19? It was another surreal moment in my life where it what what was an ordinary day went to this absolute mayhem. And I'll never forget, I had a, a pair of jeans and a blue shirt on, and I was lay on the floor with my back to the door, and it went from mayhem to one guy's voice saying, get on the floor, don't move, don't move. And what seemed to be uh, forever was probably a minute and a half, perhaps um, two minutes, maximum minute, minute, minute and a half. Uh, it turned to normality. Um, the guy said, right, everybody get up. And it, what we thought was a gunman was the bar owner and he's shouting and there was a bunch of people just lay on the floor and they got this guy outside um, and the street outside was just mayhem. And I, I'll never forget, I walked outside the door of the bar and I just said, well, I can't say exactly what I said, but I said, what was that? And this guy just said, welcome to America. And needless to say, it's got a lot better from there going forward. And um, So the three-wheeler was born out of this. But these, these guys have something that looks quite interesting. Let's go and have a look. And then you got held up in a bar. <laughs> yeah and well we the, the gunman the gunman was never actually in the bar he was outside on the street but everybody was going chaotic and it was just it was one of those things that you just don't you don't wish or you don't think you'll ever see so yeah and we we went from there um and yeah and we've ended up with the the, the rest is history as they say with the three-wheeler but it was um so we come back to the UK and and the board the Morgan board still weren't taken by this we then secured the funding from the nice vehicle network to do a what they call a teardown project so we purchased a liberty ace we imported it into the uk and we did a supplier event where we tore the vehicle down we looked at the vehicle we'd already done some design work on uh what a three-wheeler would look like for morgan and the, the truth of the matter is Whilst we had the car here, one directors, uh, us as directors of Morgan, were driving the car. And um, one Sunday evening, it was uh, a Sunday evening. It was I remember it was early evening, six thirty, seven thirty, something like that, an evening. And my phone went, and um, it was Charles, Charles Morgan, and he just went, "Wow." This is amazing. And this was driving the Liberty Ace. Um, and I think it come, brought floods of memories back about what a three-wheeler could be like. So we then did the teardown event and we invited all the suppliers to the teardown event. And we really set our business plan on doing potentially two or, two or three three-wheelers a month. It was that low. Um, and literally, we couldn't um, keep up with, you know, we, we, we were a little bit behind again. 
there was no reference point for us to, from an engineering and design, not so much design, but from an engineering point of view, I think um, the world would look at it and say, well, it's got three wheels. It's going to be 25% easier to make than a car. But actually it was, there was zero reference point to this, to, to what we needed to do. And, it, you know, from it, there was quite a number of design and engineering challenges. And the history of three wheels, you know, it's been, it's been fascinating. So we, we literally started production. We had a little bit of a faltering start because we were working with Harley Davidson in the very early days. Um, we had a lot of work set up with Harley Davidson. We had engines here. We were doing, we were doing trial builds. We were doing a lot of stuff. And, and I had a phone call out of the blue from uh, uh, one of their senior execs. He was actually their CEO in Milwaukee um, who said to me, look, Steve, I'm sorry, but we, you know, we, although I know you've been doing some work, we, we really can't fulfill this project for you. Um, it's, you know, in, in, in his words, it was just not lucrative enough for them, really. It wasn't, it was too small. So, well, it was at the time and we'd been so, we'd got so far down the line. It was, it was, it was a very testing time for us. Um, we, we sort of got steered towards SNS who, I have to say, at the time, were very, very proactive, very quick in transferring information, allowing our design team to do some packaging work and do some understanding of the product. Um, so we ended up with SNS and we we launched in Geneva um, to great acclaim. I think it was being you know being one of the people that was reporting on it at the time. Yourself will know that it was very disruptive in 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 the in the automotive world in in our own little way um, I mean, there, there was literally nothing like it on the market whatsoever at all and there hadn't been since i think morgan stopped making them in the 50s oh there, there were a couple was it as a grinnell score yeah yeah and uh there, there had been a few but i don't think anyone you know as as comparatively mainstream as Morgan had gone, hey, tell you what, let's make a car with three wheels on it and sell it to actual people for money, yeah. and and gone, yeah, no, we're 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 not joking. This is actually a thing we're going to do. Yeah, I, I remember that launch, Alex, at Geneva, and it was um, it was fascinating because we knew what um, the customers on some of the focus groups and bits and pieces of work we were doing internally. We we knew what the feeling was and the feedback was. But I don't think I, I think we honestly underestimated the because of the disruptive nature of what the three wheeler stood for and, and, and just how different it was. Um, we I think we underestimated what it brought to Morgan and the Halo and the Halo effect it's had on Morgan. So I, and I think to the customer base, you know, I always say to people, you know, we've 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 got people so interested from nine to ninety nine. It was literally that it, it it really ticked a box with a lot of original three-wheeler owners or people whose fathers or grandfathers had had three-wheelers. I think it really ticked a box with with that audience. So very disruptive, um, uh, massive halo effect for Morgan. Uh, engineering challenges, yes. Um, in the early days, we, you know, we we worked hard to overcome that, and I remember some of the. Goodwood events we did, but yeah, just a fascinating product for it. Fascinating product, and I think a piece of a, a real piece of um, Morgan history. Yeah, and, and resurrected the car that 
the car that started the company has sort of punctuated it quite quite nicely. Yeah, uh, it's it's it, it, it's been a mega thing, and it's found sort of fans all over the place as well. And they're you know if if you drive one because I've got one, I can I can say yeah. this with authority. You drive one, and people just love it because it's it is completely unlike anything else, which is you know. Very few people can get away with that, and very few people will do that because the focus group said they want four wheels and they want a roof and they want doors, whereas the focus group inevitably would be wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's let, let, let's talk about your kind of wider career. You are you are now the CEO and chairman of the Morgan Motors Company. It must mean you get to meet a lot of uh, interesting, a lot of a lot of different people. So can, can you give us a like? Who, who have you met that's kind of stood out in in a good way? Obviously, we don't want you to name and shame people. <laughs> yeah. That would just be like, I use the Morgan, I, I use the podcast for my car company to slag these people off. That's not what no. we're going. For. <laughs> no, that probably wouldn't. That probably wouldn't be the best thing to do. Um, I mean, it would make this. It would make some headlines. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'd want to be on that side of it. Um, the um, and, uh, hey, I've, I've been. Um, I feel very fortunate and. Um, privilege and proud to 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 um represent morgan and i think i yeah people i've met i mean i, I you know i've been lucky to uh be in clarence house stood um shoulder to shoulder with prince charles um launching some different appeals and bits and pieces we've done so you know right the way from um prince charles in being in clarence has invited into clarence house to the, to the house of commons for various events um right the way through to uh, you know, a, a number of people. I always look to um, business and and sport and influencing people. And I think you know, you know, we we were lucky to to welcome Jay Leno to the factory, uh, and I took Jay Leno down uh, out in a three wheeler, and it was it was just really funny because we we set off from the factory in a three wheeler, and, and Jay was driving the car, and off we then went just a couple of miles down the road from the factory to a road which we call the Golford Strait it's just a road so I, Jay decided he was going to turn round so he went off the side of the road to turn round and in off the side of the road there's a great big ditch and we just put this three wheeler in a ditch <laughs> so oh uh, no I'm yeah, stuck in a ditch oh, yeah no. so we, we stick this three-wheeler in the ditch and I'll never forget this car comes down the road and this this youngish guy in his 30s jumps out the car and he was he was it was just one of those moments he jumps out of his car and he walks up to us and before he could send he went Jay and he just shouted Jay and he, he ran up to him and he shook his hand and then after they'd exchanged a few words and bits and pieces we ended up physically just manhandling this three-wheeler out of the ditch and, and driving back to the factory so um yeah uh, but you know everybody from and, and Jay Leno and um you know and a lot of other senior um execs from the big car companies uh, have been to Morgan. So uh, just after Geneva a few years ago, welcome Ralph Speth to the factory, Adrian Hallmark, now obviously um, uh, CEO at Bentley to the factory. Um, we, you know, and there's a number of what always amazes me is, and I, I think it's the non-threatening, um, totally unassuming nature of, of what a Morgan car is that brings people so if I think there's there's a number of other senior automotive um, key 
players in the automotive industry, um, you know, Romulus Ross, Romulus Rost, um, Stefan Selaf, um, people like this all, all, all um, come to the factory, own their Morgans and come to the factory and are just always just so... Um, so lovely when they visit the factory um, and what they do. And then more latterly, um, obviously our investors, um, Andrea Bonomi and people like that are, you know, fascinating to, to work with um, and and see their view on, on what Morgan is. But yeah, very lucky to have met some, some lovely people um, and all very passionate about Morgan and, and, and always go away from here uh, and seem to uh, seem to sing the praises of Morgan, which is really nice for uh, for all of us. That would not not for me as an individual, but for the fact for the company, because I think, you know, it's it's everything we do here is about the car and about the company. Um, so it's yeah, been lucky to meet some nice people. We, we talked earlier about how things have changed over the years, but also how the tradition is still uh, hugely important. Um, how are you using that to make sure? Morgan can stand out in in a in a in in the field of, of niche manufacturers because you know there there are a lot of kind of manufacturers along the same same size of Morgan. So how does Morgan use what it has to to stand out? Um, I, well, I think there are a number of things. I think first and foremost, it's it's super important for us to maintain and not just maintain but grow and expand on our um core competences and what drives them maintaining the skill that allows us to maintain that differentiator so when i think about apprenticeships i think about um there, there are there are a number of different acronyms in in uh, whether it's a, a ktp a knowledge transfer partnership or or whether it's uh post-grad programs universities so i think uh, couple of prongs to answer that question really i think first of all by maintaining that skill set that allows us to keep the tradition alive so i think i did my apprenticeship 37 years ago and we talked earlier about uh, uh, what that looked like then i think it's it's really important that we move with the times because i think that there was i was probably thinking back alex i was probably or, or my General, my my age range was, was probably some of the last people that really entered industry before there was a massive sea change to everybody leaving school and going to university. So there, there was, you know, I was, I come into an apprenticeship. I never wanted to go off to university. It never crossed my radar. I wanted to get into work. I wanted to make things. I wanted to do things. Um, then there was a sea change and everybody went to university. I think we're I think it's it, it's come around. The sea change has, has come around again, and I think more people are entering industry. And I think it's been a real battle for manufacturing to take away the sort of oily, dirty, greasy, smelly sort of industries or, or, or that that those thoughts to being actually. Yes, you're making something, but it's not a dirty, horrible environment that you have to make it in. Um, you can make things in in a safe and uh, clean environment. And yes, there's the, you know, you're making things, so you're handing materials. So I think it's really important that we maintain 
that. And we're big on our apprenticeship programs. We're big, big on how we main, how we continue that theme. We're big on. Um, These days, you don't dump them in water tanks or. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure the apprentices would probably be glad of that. And um, uh, yeah, no, I, I would be if I was doing it again. Let me tell you, I would definitely be glad of that. Um, I think we've got that. We've got obviously the work we do with universities, the work we do with knowledge transfer partnerships, where you're bringing in a post a, a grad um, as as part of uh, part of their um, degrees. Uh, we also something we're also big on now is bringing people into into the factory and then giving them a year or two in the factory and then giving them the opportunity to go off to university. It's it's a it's a significant cost to the business, but I think it's also for certain individuals, it's also really good to get the grounding, to get the understanding that you're moving from school to work, and then you can, there is there is a route for you to further your education there. I think that's one answer to the question. I think in, in how we maintain that tradition. So we we've we've now gone through this process where we're bringing people that have got the right skill sets to do that job. As a company, then it would be easy. It would be easy to. Uh, move away from sometimes the B structure of the vehicles. Do do we need a wooden structure for a B structure? Sometimes not, but I think it's part of the DNA of Morgan. It's part of what we do, and I think it's it's again it's what differentiates us. I think we what we do is we work really hard. So our, our design and engineering team work really hard on understanding how best to use those materials in the right ways to facilitate um uh, facilitate the the end result so looking at how do you hang an aluminium panel how do you hang a wing off uh, off the vehicle how does the how does the wood interact with the aluminium chassis then to interact with the finished panels so we're very mindful of that we're also mindful of we you know we welcome we're, we're very fortunate to have a business here in Pixley Road that welcomes 30,000 visitors and we're looking to expand that offering going forward. Um, so it's really important that our visitors come along and, and I, I regularly look at um, TripAdvisor and all of the digital um, channels to to understand what people are saying about the factory visits and again it's I watch I watch people as well so I, I listen to what they say but I, I watch people when I'm in the factory walk into the wood shop and you can see Three people over, Steve. I'm very sorry. yeah yeah, <laughs> I've got, yeah I've got to get back to work then um, <laughs> I watch people walk into the wood shop and you can you can visibly see people taking a big deep breath and they smell that they smell that environment that wood and the ash and um, so I think it's important that we we keep the relevant points that make us different in the industry. Uh, and I think, again, one thing that's really important, we're not trying to make the least expensive vehicle in the world. If we were, we'd, we'd need to change a lot of things. You, could, you know, we're, we're trying to um, maintain the materials, the tradition, the, uh, and marry that craft and technology together. Uh, and make a, a safe vehicle that's got a great residual value in the volume that we want to make them in that keeps us who we are. So I think it's very important to remember that. So I'd, I'd like to think between the, just to summarize that question to, to between ensuring that we retain the skill set and we bring people through, not only are we bring those people through, but we are also offering um, routes to further education and, and further training. 
So that side of it we remains the skill. The materials um, and our design team are very key, are very key to ensuring that they design that vehicle around what differentiates us. Um, and, th- and then maintaining for the for the not not only for people who are buying the car, but for the people who want to visit us to see what what we do when we're, when they're at the factory. Comprehensively answered, actually. Mm. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, when we talk about tradition, we talk about uh, moving forward. Autonomous cars, things like that, uh, they're becoming kind of more forefront, more front and centre these days. Um, whereas Morgan. It's all about drivers' cars. It's all about something that's engaging. It's all about something that you drive for the sake of it. You don't. No, no one would ever accuse a Morgan of being their practical vehicle. Mm. Um, it's it's their drivers' car. It's it's for drivers. It's for people that want to go out and experience something. Um, what like in in today's world? How do you how how do you, where do you feel drivers' cars stand? It's a really good question, is it? Because every time you're at any industry-led seminar or every time you're at anything to do with the automotive industry or you turn the news on, we, we're all seeing what the movement's towards and I totally understand why, um, you know, as a, as, a, uh, as a world, we've got to look at the impact we're having on the environment and everything else. I think, first and foremost, I truly believe we're in the leisure industry. We are, we're in the leisure industry. We just happen to make a car and associated products and, and, and everything, but a car. We just happen to make a car. You know, we're very much driven by what the government and, and what legislation is going to dictate going forward. Um, and, you know, we, we're also, from a responsible point of view, we're follow, you know, we always will aim to follow, you know, what, what we need to do um, from, from the legislative and government advice at a point of view. But I think at the moment, there's, you know, there's a place for Morgan for our leisure and our pleasure. And, and you touched on it, you know, nobody's going to accuse you of, uh, you, know, you know, you're not, you're not in it to to do the 100,000 miles. You haven't got the company um, representative doing 100,000 miles a year in a Morgan or anything. Um, so I think I mean, if, if, if they did, they would be a truly incredible human being. And I applaud <laughs> them immensely if, if they were going to crack out 100,000 miles a year in their, Plus six, plus four, whatever. I mean, yeah. that would be truly heroic, but unlikely. Yeah, but and, and like you say, unlikely. And, and I think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen. Whilst whilst we can, as a company, and and following all legislative requirements, whilst we can, our aim is to make a, a vehicle that delights and puts a smile on the owner's face um and and our customers faces and and i think it, it's really important and let's be honest we're living in we're living in really uncertain times and with you know with, with what we talk about with the current situation um it feels very surreal and, and and you do start to challenge and i've had lots of conversations over the last month about people's people reevaluating their life and reevaluate. You know, we're all going to have a bit of slightly reflective period coming coming up soon. When when we sit back and 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 God willing, um, the world turns to normal sooner than later. But I think there will be a reflective period. And, I, and certainly, I know that um, I'm looking at today outside beautiful blue skies, and you think, well, it would be you know typically it's the Easter break. It would be nice for people to be enjoying themselves, and, and God willing, we'll be able to get back to that soon. So, whilst we can. We'll we'll make a, a vehicle that satisfies and puts smiles on people's faces. That's our that's our aim. 
Speaking of, uh, of putting smiles smiles on faces, you must have plenty of enjoyable Morgan moments. I've 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 got in my notes that you've um you drove to to Nordcap. Uh, that must have been fun. Yeah, that was that was that was a really interesting. I mean, personally for me, it's it's tugs at my heartstrings a little bit as well because. It was so the whole um, a very potted history of the Nordcap Challenge. It was set about my, my daughter has a thing called Marfan syndrome, um, which is a, a genetic disorder, um, and she, she's had a lot of health issues. And uh, thankfully, I can say that if she walked in the room, you wouldn't you wouldn't look at her and know that. But she's had some significant health issues um, in her twenty years of life. She's had more operations than the average family would go through in probably three generations. And because of this, a bunch of customers decided off their own back that they would like to do raise some money for charity, and they would like to do uh, uh, they would like to do something. They're all Morgan owners, um, and in, in, in actually, when I think back, in a number of them, multiple Morgan owners. So we set about a thing called the Nordcap Challenge, where we took five Morgans to to North Cape, um, there and back, nonstop. Uh, it was nearly seven thousand miles. Uh, and it was a, it was a three wheeler, a four four, a roadster, a plus four, a road, sorry, a three wheeler, a plus four, a roadster, a plus eight, and an aero eight at the time, an aero, uh, an aero super sport at the time. Um, so and we drove some, every, yeah, we took a, we took one one of one of each of the range. Um, I mean, the, the the history of the trip was there and back, nonstop. Um, we we successfully completed that. We met some fascinating people en route, some fans. Uh, we and we raised probably uh, I'd I'd say we'd raised a hundred thousand um, pound on that trip. Um, and it was set up by a bunch of Morgan customers, which made it all the more. Um, poignant for me it was obviously very close to, to my heart with what was going on personally um, in my family uh, and it was a, yeah just a look back in history it's, it seems a lifetime ago now I think it was 2013 if I remember rightly it was 2013 I think and um, yeah fascinating trip so yeah d- done, done a lot of that so that was interesting um, so yeah we've had some, some good times and good times and hopefully they'll return soon well, that that is always the plan. I think everyone everyone is hoping for a a, a speedy uh, and pain free uh, return to the real world. And speaking of, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to let you go because we've had a lot of your time, and you do have a car company to run. <laughs> no, no people at the moment. Well, no people here. Um, no, no, no people yeah. there. But there are still there are still uh, wheels to turn, as it were. So, Steve Morris, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to seeing what's coming from you guys during lockdown and corona again but also afterwards because there's there, there's a car to launch there's a plus four there's a plus four there's a lot there's a lot to do when we get back and um no and, and thank you very much Alec. i look forward to catching up with you soon thanks for your time steve morris there with some very exciting stories and some great insight into his relationship with morgan we see execs and people like that stood behind lecterns telling us lots of things but we don't actually realize their story and how they get there so it's genuinely fascinating to hear how he did what he did and why he does it as well he's a car guy he's like us uh which is great it's great you tell you mate all about talking shop uh, so more people can hear it until then thank you very much for listening and goodbye